listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. All right, welcome to another episode recording this on Sunday. Uh, don't forget, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. We got you covered for everything Lakers as well at silverscreenandroll.com. Stats, opinions, analysis, you name it, we got it. And also, don't forget to follow us online on Twitter at LakersSBN. Joining me today, a man who's been with ESPN, one of the best in the business, Kevin Arnovitz. Kevin, what's going on, my man? Uh, I'm well. How are you? I'm doing okay. The big news, obviously, coming out on Friday. It seems like a bit of a, a news dump, if, if you ask me, but Dwight Howard making his return to the purple and gold. What was your first thought when you saw that news? Um, I, I mean, I, I think my first thought is just, in some ways, Howard is is an interesting flashpoint for everything that's changed about the league. right? So we had kind of a, a perennial MVP, certainly Defensive Player of the Year candidate, less than a decade ago in his early prime. And now this is a conversation we have in late August, which is, is this a person who can essentially give this team 14 to 16 minutes a night off the bench, probably not be on the floor for the biggest moments, uh, largely because very few centers in the league are now. Um, This is not a Dwight Howard thing. This is a, oh, you're six foot 11, seven feet, seven feet one with no discernible range. Um, You know, offensive limitations uh, is your rim protection worth leveraging space in a game that demands it now right and and then and then so the second thing so there, there's the sort of the, the the center has become this superfluous role on, on a lot of teams and again I mean all the great lineups of the last decade so many of them you know the death lineup for the Warriors you know Draymond Green's your center right so so you have this sort of centers obsolescence topic and then you kind of also have like the the, the culture conversation Right. Which what which is that, you know, is there a certain point where the cost benefit analysis weighs so far against a player, no matter how much talent he might have had in the past or demonstrated in the past that, yeah, do we really want this guy on the roster? And uh, and Howard's been sort of dealing with this for the last couple of seasons. I mean, there's a reason that the Hawks had to, like, you know, take on an awful contract just to get rid of him, that the, you know, that the Hornets had to, you know, essentially just jettison him, that the Nets had no use for him. And and he's essentially been making this tour of the Eastern Conference of late where just, you know, he's of very little utility to very few teams. And, you know, the Lakers in, in, are sort of a LeBron team now. And in that respect, LeBron teams have always had the capacity to absorb veterans that either perceived to be past their prime or they might still have something to offer, but they're kind of a pain in the ass to other teams. But we can deal with it because LeBron has a way of that, that sort of I remember that I was in that press conference in Cleveland when uh, I think in 2015, when. LeBron at the podium after a win over the Hawks in the conference finals where a, a reporter asked, you know, how did you know, you know, J.R. Smith at that point had been so radioactive in New York and, and how did you know that you could bring this guy in and, and it would work? And, you know, LeBron basically said, you know, I, I told management, I got this. And so this is another case where if, if you want to suggest that, that sort of LeBron has a lot of intangible benefits one of which is, hey, there's a reclamation project that no one else in the league really has interest in. But he, but if if there's a team that might be able to use this guy as a rim protector 14, 16 times a night uh, or, or fit minutes a night, LeBron can create the environment, which already a little chaotic can certainly absorb 
whatever eccentricities Dwight has or whatever insecurities Dwight might bring, he'll defer them to this larger LeBron-ish project, which is you come, you play here, you're a veteran, we'll find a role for you, but you'll get in line uh, or, or certainly just sort of fit your chaos into our chaos. And and so and that's sort of what I was thinking is just it, it's such a, he's an interesting intersection between sort of how the game has changed positionally and how the game has changed culturally. Yeah, I agree with that because, I mean, you look at him and, and I was talking about this on a recent uh, a show I did with Trevor Lane from Lakers Nation is that with Dwight, he's like a uh, the old guard of the NBA in terms of, you know, the traditional big man who plays, you know, 10, 15 feet you know, around the hoop. He's in the paint posting up and, and kind of taking up all that room. And, and, and like you mentioned, you need guys who are able to space the floor and, and give you a different dimension where I think JaVale did a very good job of that, especially early in the season last year, obviously dealing with the pneumonia and, and coming back after that, he wasn't quite the same player in terms of uh, slipping the screen or, or kind of, you know, diving at the right time and, and getting some lobs from LeBron. And, and you mentioned the leadership thing and, and I look at Dwight's career and it's like, okay, his time in Orlando. Yeah. He was the alpha. That was his squad. Uh, he came to the Lakers, still co- was Kobe's team, and, and we all know how that went in 2012, 2013. And even his his seasons with the Rockets, it was like James Harden was coming into his own then. And you look at his last couple of stops, you know, Atlanta, Charlotte, and and Washington, there was no no leader there. I mean, certainly not anybody on the on the level of LeBron James. And now you bring in Anthony Davis, and and some of the the attitude and the maturity uh, questions are going to come into play naturally. From the, and I saw a lot of fans uh, online looking at it and saying you know, why did they do this? It's like, well, it's, it's been six years since he left. And that's kind of water under the bridge and, and let's move on from it. Um, do you think he's going to be able to be a positive contributor? Because if you look around the league, I mean, he, the, the perception of Dwight is he's immature and, and he's really just a cancer in the locker room. I mean, I, I think he'll be a marginal contributor, right? I mean, we're having this conversation because Dwight Howard was once one of the five best players in the game. And, and, and by the way, and like, so he's earned the right to have people in August talk about him to the extent that there's any value in that to Dwight Howard, that he's a notable <laughs> person. He's probably, he might very well go in the Hall of Fame. I think he should go in the Hall of Fame. He's got, he's got had just incredible prime. Um, can he be a contributor? Like, in a way that backup centers can be contributors in 2020, right? Like, yeah. like yeah, I, I think there'll be some nice nights where, you know, because Rudy Gobert's in there, or maybe they need another body, or, or you know, rim, the, the, the Lakers are kind of leaking defensively on the perimeter and need somebody, you know, a backstop, and, and, and rim protection becomes an important theme, or, or they, you know, maybe they match up with the, the Jazz in the second round, and all of a sudden it's a more conventional uh, five that they need. And, and, and like, so I do, I think so. Yeah, sure. But I mean, I, I don't, you know, it likely. And, and I think that, I mean, I, I tend to think both people change and I do think that, um, I mean, what's that great Chris Locke rock line that, you know, uh, men are as faithful as their options. And I, I think basketball players are as agreeable as their options, right? Like, like Dwight Howard can't really afford to be Dwight Howard anymore. So, you know, to, and I, what I mean by that is, is like being an irritant in the locker room, uh, no longer will work for him. I mean, they'll cut him before January 7th and like, that'll be that. And they'll go find any number of, I mean, here's the thing. This is a, the market is such that there are nothing but seven footers hanging around professional basketball, looking for jobs. And there are fewer and fewer minutes again, because most teams don't play at most, you know, kind of play one big, maybe a second big in, in various spots, but that's it. There just aren't that many minutes to go around. And so he has to make the cost benefit analysis work for the Los Angeles Lakers and you know the Lakers you know will have a certain threshold of tolerance like any other team like any other workplace and if you know Dwight's agreeable like I imagine they'll keep him around you know and if he he's played in the finals he's 
you know, when he is healthy. And I think that's the other question here is, you know, what about his health? And I think that will probably, the interesting thing is, is I think that'll be a much greater determining factor than anything like scheme or is he difficult in the locker room or is he immature? Does he eat too many M&Ms or whatever, whatever <laughs> Dwight Howardy question. I mean, I think really it'll come down to how healthy is Dwight Howard? You know, can he stay on the floor and can he practice and can he, you know, do all this stuff? I mean, it won't be a lot of practice, but you know, I think that, probably will be the determining factor more than any cultural um, or schematic consideration. Why has he been such a, a, an enigma, really, in the, in the NBA? Like, nobody really could get him. Nobody understood him. And, and I understand. I mean, I, I'm looking at this from, from the human perspective, which is, you know, you're eight into the league. He came out of high school. Uh, and, and you're kind of being – and everybody's, you know, taking care of you and, and, and making sure you're all right. And then – all of a sudden you have this, this, and it was, it was just a weird fall from grace for Dwight. Cause as you mentioned, like his time in Orlando, he was putting up uh, MVP hall of fame numbers, you know, a double, double machine, uh, best rebounder in the league, you know, getting, you know, almost three blocks a night. And then he goes to the Lakers and, and that one season here, as we know, was a disaster. His numbers did dip just a little bit, nothing, nothing too crazy. And then he just became like this weird afterthought. And is, is that the perception around the league with him? And especially for, for you know, media members who are, who are plugged in like yourself, is it just been the maturity thing? And, you know, he apparently met with um, Rajon Rondo and, and Anthony Davis and uh, I believe it was JaVale McGee and, and just said, hey, you know what? I've hit rock bottom. I'm, I'm not the guy I used to be. And, and really, I'm looking for a final chance because and I'm looking at this from a, also from a competitor standpoint, which is, you know, you come in as a number one overall pick. Uh, back in the in 2004, you're supposed to be this guy who leads Orlando to the promised land. You made the finals in 2009, and I never really had had a sniff of getting back there. I mean, other than the, with Houston, where they made the conference finals. But um, you know, when you when you look at at his career as a whole, why has he just struggled to to sustain success? Because he had that period, but after that, it, it's been hard. I think it was that intersection I talk about from the schematic and the cultural, right? So. One of the things that happens is, you know, Dwight Howard feeded, you know, you, you run an 80, you know, 999, 09. You know, Stan Van Gundy is running a Jameer Nelson, Dwight Howard pick and roll machine with shooters. I mean, one of the great spread pick and roll. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the early, along with D'Antoni, sort of the, the slow it down, the, the, fifth, the 16 seconds or less version of, of what they're running in, in Phoenix. And so, okay, Dwight's complaining a little bit that, you know, pick and dive rather than just post. But there's enough to go around, and it's certainly all working in, in teams away, right? And so, so, but little by little, um, you know, to the extent that five men are useful offensively, it's because they do one of two things as the 2000 teams sort of get going. And that is either they can shoot, which is very – at this point, we're talking about like Mehmet Okor and like a few other guys, right? Mm -hmm. But they set a big, hard screen up top for the point guard and then dive to the hole. DeAndre Jordan built a career doing this, right? A guy with no range um, who came into himself defensively. And, you know, DJ's not the, the most mature player in the league. But, man, if that guy will pick and dive. And he doesn't complain about it. And, yeah, he'd love more touches. But that kind of became the new standard of conduct for a big man. And so, uh, but Dwight sort of like, hey, it's much easier. I mean, I, I think anybody, I, I'm five foot six and a half, so I can speak to zero of this, but my understanding is, you know, like, <laughs> I, I think we know this from mid, like hours of conversations with basketball players for the last 11 years. Like, you know, for a big man, it's kind of putting your paw up on the air, like back in the old days and getting on on the left block or where, your right block, wherever's block you prefer, kind of sticking your ball at an entry pass. Okay. Kick out re-entry if you don't have the position you want. 
uh, or you want to kind of test the defense a little more. And that's a much preferable mode of, of play. Teams aren't interested in doing that anymore because what we find out is, is that they start getting populated by front office people and analytics types who are saying, by the way, post-ups in this league are some of the least efficient offensive sets. I don't care how good you are. There's a reason Al Jefferson goes from being a borderline all-star candidate to out of the league and you don't even remember. You hadn't probably thought of Al Jefferson in three years, right? <laughs> um, this guy is a beautiful post player. I mean, that drops dead. I mean, Al Jefferson, right? And, and, and so I think there becomes a very limited demand. But Dwight hasn't gotten the memo. Um, because like a lot of people who are really good at their job at a moment of obsolescence or the industry changes, and I don't care if you're, you know, what you do for a living, I don't care if you make widgets or you're an accounting firm or whatever else, like you're the stud and then the game changes in your industry, but you sort of rest your, I would say rest your laurels. I mean, but, but you've known no other way. And the idea that, wait, my skills haven't diminished. You're changing the terms of debate or you're changing the terms of the game. And that's kind of what happens. So, you know, he gets to a place like Atlanta where he's just, you know, he comes in. It's all rosy because, you know, his hometown team signed. It was a little humbling. It was less money, I think, than, you know, certainly off the max, but still good money. Um, and he's complaining incessantly, like complaining incessantly at, at an organization where under Mike Butenholzer is sort of a culture. No one complains. Right. Like it's a complaint free zone. Say what you will about the Hawks of that era. It was a complaint free zone. And so here comes Dwight, you know. Complaining to this young point guard and Dennis Schroeder, um, complaining to coaching staff, manage whatever else, and at the end of the day, like you're no longer worth it. And and, and because, well, he, what, what, what what else are we going to do? It's not like he's learning to hit threes. Uh, it's not really his game anyway. Uh, he, he you know every pick and roll seems like a major ask of this guy. You're trying to design an offense that's fluid, and there's a certain point where a team says, "Oh yeah, sure, we'll take on a plumly in dead money." just to get off this guy. You know, Charlotte pretty much does the same thing. Brooklyn's like, no, we have Jared Allen who won't complain, who's probably half the talent Dwight Howard is in terms of ceiling potential. But, man, just wants to be in every possession and won't complain if he's, you know, on the bench. And so it gets to a point like, well, I think that's just what happened. Again, it's that obsolescence where there's a certain amount of immaturity people will put up with if it's exchanged for a certain quality of performance. But the performance wasn't there. And then, frankly, you know, he started getting hurt. And, and so you take all of it. Not, no longer the Iron Man reliable guy he was in terms of just bodily function, which is no fault of his, combined with this sort of no one really enjoys going to work with this guy. You know, doesn't have a lot of friends in the league. Uh, you know, coaches aren't exactly clamoring to have this guy on the roster. Because they don't really need that skill set. I mean, coaches kind of look at a guy and say, what does he cost me? What does he bring me? He costs me a lot of a jida because <laughs> he's complaining <laughs> constantly. What does he get me? Does he get me space? No, just certainly doesn't get me space. Well, will he dive? Not unless you freaking, you know, beg. Well, who needs that? Again, because you know what? I'm not playing a big man in the fourth quarter of a tight game anyway. Well, so that's, that's the issue. Yeah, and I was going to say that's that's the thing, and, and a lot of Lakers fans have been have been, hey, you know what, AD's been been vocal about he doesn't not want to play the five, and it's like, well, at the end of the game, especially with Boogie going down, now your best lineup probably is going with Anthony Davis playing the center spot, and he, and uh, you know, I don't think he's he's saying it like I don't want to play it at all. I think with the Lakers, you're you're looking at their best lineup going Anthony Davis at the five, probably Kuz at the four, and then LeBron at the three, and then whoever's kind of playing good out of that mix that they have in in, in terms of the backcourt, and and you look at uh, and you look at it, and a lot of people, I mean, I remember seeing some of the reaction 
on Friday to to this. And and as you mentioned, they were like, oh, you know, he's he's not going to be able to do anything. And I'm like, dude, the Lakers don't need him to come in and play 30 minutes a night. It's like the, the best case scenario is, is, as you've mentioned a couple of times, come in for maybe, you know, 10, 12 minutes a night, depending on the matchup. If, if, if it's a if it's a really good big man like a. Like a Rudy Gobert or something that you got to stand and bang with, and he can come in and, and you know get some rebounds and, and block some shots. Because if you look at his numbers with the Hornets in, in 2017, 2018, albeit a 36 win team that Charlotte was at that time, I mean he put up 16 and 12, and he was a monster on, on the on the defensive uh, defensive glass. He was fourth best in terms of percentage there too. So I don't think anybody's expecting him to be a double double guy. But when when you look at it, like what would be a successful season for Dwight Howard individually? With, with the Lakers, like what's what's the best case scenario for him here? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a you know I'm, I'm not a big individual stats guy. I mean, I, I think it's exactly what you said, which is wow. When Dwight Howard's on the floor, the offense, the the rebounding percentage, the rebounding rate, kind of in an advanced stats context, is always above fifty, right? Like like when Dwight How- this would be a successful season for Dwight Howard in the Lakers. If Dwight Howard's on the floor, man, we just control the boards. That's not an issue, right? Teams are not getting collecting off their own misses. They're not getting new possessions. And oh, by the way, you know. He's looking pretty good. He can get out. In the, you know, he's still a decent athlete. He's still a great, always a great athlete. You know, he'll uh, an early seal now and then and, and you know, beats, beat his counterpart down court and, you know, you know, get a few buckets here and there and, and will provide positive rim protection. How? When Dwight Howard's on, with lineups with Dwight Howard on the floor at the five, the Lakers have a defensive rating of 101.2, right? Like that would be a really good scenario. And so I think that would be is like. I, I think that's what a successful season is for the Lakers and Dwight Howard is when he's on the floor, look at the team rebounding rate, look at the defensive efficiency and look at the offensive efficiency, right? He's not costing you, you know, though he doesn't offer any range and, and he doesn't really need to be quote, you know, guarded in a conventional sense um, unless he's standing under the rim. Uh, the, the, the team isn't suffering greatly when he's, when they're going with, uh, you know, AD at the four and Dwight at the five or Kuz at the four and Dwight at the five off the bench or whatever it is. I mean, I think that, I think that's what you want. I don't think, I think the days of looking at his, he's not going to see a 16 and 12 season. So I think the days of looking at his individual numbers are over and it's now, Hey, he plugs a hole really well in the right context. Was he, was he your first choice out of the guys that were apparently working out? I mean, uh, depending on, on the, you know, the physical shape that guys like Joakim Noah and, and most Bates were in. When when you saw that Boogie went down originally with the ACL injury and you saw the rumors coming out that, hey, it's between Dwight, uh, Joakim Noah, and most Bates, was, uh, did you feel that was the right choice to go with Dwight? Or did you think, because a lot of people were clamoring for Noah as well. Yeah, I would want to, you know, honestly, with it's, it's the issue with all three of these guys. Like, tell me who's in the best shape of the three. Okay. Like, I'm not, I mean, I love, I've always loved Joakim Noah's skill set and he can do things that Dwight can't do in terms of, passing and keeping the ball moving and whatever else. And um, look, I love the fact that Mo can shoot. Uh, I don't know what sh- kind of shape Mo's in. Like, I have no idea. And, and that is a huge, like, a guy, Mo is a guy whose variance is so great based on how much weight he's carrying around. And when Mo is in shape, Mo is really good. When Mo is not in shape, Mo can't give you anything. Um, you know, Joe's a guy who's had health concerns, right? So, so that, that would be, uh, all things being equal, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a Noah guy just in terms of profile. Uh, and I, I, you know, but I also, I, I don't know what kind of health or shape. No, I think he's in pretty good shape. Um, so it's hard to know. I mean, so much of this is personality matchup. How did he interview? I mean, not that the interview matters, but like, just kind of like, like, what's the vibe around this guy? How many, how much of his expectations need to be managed? You know, it might have been that, look, if Dwight can just basically submit to the idea, and this is such a theme now with the older guys, and we have had this conversation with about Carmelo for the last month and a half, really the last year and a half. Um, hey, can he just, is he, 
if you take a DNP, is this going to be an issue? You know, is Frank going to have to bring him into his office? And like, is it yet another thing Frank has to deal with today? Another thing that LeBron has to, LeBron, would you talk to Dwight? Like LeBron's got enough going on, right? Like, like how much, (laughs) what assurance do you have that on January 11th, when Dwight records his third straight DNP, either because, you know, for whatever reason, maybe it's matchup, maybe it's just Frank's not feeling him right now, whatever it is, that that needs to be a situation that has to be managed. And if you have assurances, and there's no hard, you know, ironclad assurances, because you just don't know. You don't know what how life, you know, I mean, Dwight's had this kind of unfortunate pattern where he comes in all smiles, and then little by little, it's just... And we all have friends and colleagues like that, right? Like you turn over a new leaf and the leaf isn't really. Yet. So I, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, that's a, that's a something that like, you know, that, that, that Rob Palenka and his staff just sort of have to discern through human instinct. And if they're reasonably assured that between LeBron's manner and Frank Vogel's agreeability and Dwight's legitimate, earnest desire to just fit in that he'll be okay, I'm fine with it. Because again, what we're talking about is such a minor additive in the grand scheme of things in 2020 basketball. Your second slash third string center. It's just not anything that rates anymore in terms, it's not going to make the difference. Of, like, I mean, I think it's a fun thing to talk about because he's such an interesting player who's had such an interesting career. But I think you and I can just sit here and say, like, like what are the chances that Dwight Howard provides this sort of elasticity that's going to mean more than a fraction of one win in either direction. You and I both know the answer is very low. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's not gonna. He's not gonna. He's not gonna win them a championship. He's not the missing piece to. And he's not gonna know, lose them one either. Right? Exactly. I mean, and, and and as you mentioned, I mean, I'm hoping that he he has his stuff together on the mental end and the maturity aspect, and he's able to extend his career because that's what it's about for him at this point. It's not about being an all star and putting up numbers. It's mm, can I get another two three years out of this and and hopefully at least enjoy my last couple of seasons because looking at as at his his trajectory of his career and kind of the way he's been, I don't think he's enjoyed it. And as you mentioned off the top, you know what, if they, if things aren't working out and he's not happy and, and they don't like the way he's fitting in, boom, he's gone zero cost to them. And they got a roster spot open. So I, I think, you know what, it's a low risk, uh, not even a high reward. It's just a low risk move for them to, to fill their spot. And if things work out, they do. If not, like you mentioned, no big, no big deal. I uh, wanted to get into a couple of listener questions that we got. Uh, we'll do that after this short break. And we are back. I wanted to jump into a couple of listener questions. We got uh, Kevin from somebody called Mr. Gonzalez on Twitter at underscore King Gonzalez. Any chance Anthony Davis wins MVP and Defensive Player of the Year at the same time? I'm going to go ahead and say no. What do you think about that? Um, Probably not. Um, You know, Defensive Player of the Year is interesting. I mean, I've always, to me, he's in that sort of group of five. You know, which, which for me is, and I'm, I, God, we're off season, so I'm already like forgetting everything I learned. But, you know, there, there's that sort of group of, of Rudy, Draymond, um, AD, Kawhi, like Paul George, and I'm probably forgetting a couple of cent- I mean, I think Joel could probably be up there, but I, I think he's definitely in that elite circle. Um, you know, I, it, it's hard right now because, and Giannis, I'm totally, that's right. I, I knew I was forgetting somebody. Uh, you know, I think AD is certainly in that conversation, particularly if, like, if the Lakers, for whatever reason, you know, end up as the sixth or fifth ranked defense. I mean, I think a, increasingly a lot of voters, and I'm a voter, you know, kind of look at overall team performance. Then they start to kind of attribute it to a guy, and the answer is, oh, wow, 
you know, AD has just played ridiculously monster defense. In fact, maybe you see a scenario where he, you know, he, he kind of finally sort of came to Jesus on playing the five. And you know what? It turns out AD is one of the best rim protectors in the league, which I think he could be. And, you know, that becomes a narrative that voters are listening to where AD, you know, we start seeing features um, from some of my colleagues and some of the folks like you in, in, in the Laker world who start saying, you know, one of the great developments and one of the great reasons for the, I mean, imagine this scenario. I'm, I'm going to lay out the scenario where he could. Uh, we get to March. The Lakers are leading the conference. They're three games up on the Clippers. Um, and it basically, we, we've all kind of collectively decided it was AD embracing that I'm the center on this team when we, when the games really matter most and sort of LeBron and, 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 uh, and Kuz playing the forward spots, as you said, the sort of scenario you laid out before and wow, the Lakers crush it. This is the new death lineup and AD's the five. And not only is he excelling offensively with all this space, look out. On defense, he is the rim protector. He is the Draymond. He is switching out. And and the reason the Lakers are successful is that AD made this decision after years and years. Because I had a conversation with AD one-on-one as recently as last November where he still affirmed to me when we were walking to the bus in New Orleans that it's just not – he doesn't see himself as a five. But, boy, he bought in, whether it was LeBron, whether it was him by himself, whether it was the coaching staff or manager, whatever it is. And that scenario is, and the Lakers are the best team in basketball, and it's because AD embraced this change. I could see, and by the way, he's putting up the requisite numbers you would require, and the high percentages, and the you know all big numbers rebounding. He's leading the league in blocks, or among the league leaders in blocks, you know, scoring twenty six a night, you know, all that other stuff. Yeah, I could see a scenario. Do I think it's probable? No, but that is the scenario to me. Lakers huge team success. He's the five. He's killing it on both ends. We're talking about this guy as the MVP because why? He's the best player on the best team, and he's the best defender on a on a pretty elite defense. Why is he so hesitant? You think to play to be the five and and you know labeled because to me now it, it's positionless basketball, right? I mean you yeah. you you're matching up based on uh, okay, is this guy fast enough to maybe guard uh, guard the opponent who's who's playing? You know, and you're not really looking at it like okay, you're guarding their point guard and our two is guarding their shooting guard and three and and so on. You're saying okay, where where do we match up? Well, even if the guy's given up. A couple of inches, but he's strong and he's pretty stout, so he he'll be able to guard, you know, Kevin Durant or whatever, long and rangy. So what what like what is AD hesitant about the five? Like what what scares him about that number? I don't think it scares him. I think it's just habitual. Like I think he's a guy who grew up playing the game a certain way and and kind of came into his own a certain way and and you know certain guys are more improvisational. Certain guys like to know what the plan is, and I think it's more. It, kind of talking to him, it's more habitual. Like it's more, I, I, I am accustomed to being on a floor. Here are my four, here's the general profile of the four guys who are with me. There's going to be one guy who's sort of like size, maybe a little bigger. Um, and then there are these other guys. And, and when it comes to kind of picking up assignments in transition and, and I'm, I, that, you know, Alvin Gentry used to joke that, you know, he would just you know, he would draw the same stuff up defensively and offensively and just kind of with the dry eraser, you know, before the team came in, go switch the five and the four. You know, that, that you sort of have to just kind of play that game a little bit with, with AD. But I think it's more just, you know, why is it that, like, I go crazy in my apart in my house when there's anything on a service and my partner just doesn't care and he's fine with tolerating clutter, right? Like, like well, what is it? Could I learn to like the different the clutter, I guess, but... I just don't feel comfortable in a house where there are things on surfaces that don't belong there. It needs to go in a drawer, right? I, I, I yeah. just think to these guys, that is like their home is their court and it's just spatial 
and it's mental and it's like uh, he, he sees the game as as a as a sum of function and that is his function he is the power forward now never mind that the power forward job description has no official you know stipulation it doesn't matter right like i'm the four i'm the four you know, like dad likes to sit in that chair, you know, like in the living room, like that's dad's chair. You don't sit in that chair. Like, I think that's just kind of it. Why dad could sit anywhere. Actually, that chair is more comfortable. doesn't matter. Right. Like, <laughs> like sometimes, you know, we're not, we're not completely rational human beings. I don't think he's irrational. I just think, again, it's habitual. Yeah. And then they're, and they're creatures of habit too. These guys, like, like you mentioned, I mean, some of them probably have weird, uh, weird, um, habits of like, hey, I got to wear these socks and put my right one on, left one on. Who knows what goes on in their head? And like you mentioned, I mean, that, that's a perfect scenario. Like, yeah, dad likes that chair. That's why it's his chair. We don't have a reason for it. No, no answer for it. Uh, another question we got from a listener, Clark McPherson, Clark McGolf actually played college ball with uh, Clark a long time ago now back home in, in Vancouver. But he's asking, how long do they give Kuzma before they consider moving him for a guard who can get his own shot? And I find that interesting because to me, as soon as as soon as Boogie Cousins went down, Kyle Kuzma became the third best player, you know, just on paper on, on the Lakers. So for me, if he's able to kind of take that leap, and I, I think Kuz, his, his ceiling is borderline, borderline all-star, maybe on, on, a, on a not good team where he puts up good numbers. But on a team like the Lakers, I think if, they, if he can give them, you know, 15, 16 a night and, and improves a bit on the defensive end, especially where he struggled last season and get his three-point shooting percentage up, I think he's a, he could be a huge contributor to this team. What, what do you think when you, when, you, when you hear that? Like, how long do they give him or do they even consider moving him for somebody who can get his own shot? I mean, I, I think, don't forget, right now he's very cheap. And so that's right. yeah, that's I, I think that's, that's an important consideration. You're talking about a guy who gives you production, and we can debate the quality of that production, but it's production. And he does it, you know, on a salary of, I think, less than $2 million. Less than $2 million, okay. yeah. Right. So that is a major consideration. Now, he's got the team option. He's eligible for the extension. Now, I do think there might be a point in the future where the Lakers are like, we are not going to pay this guy. So, you know, largely because he plays the same position or similar position or he, you know, is AD or whatever it is, or, or we need to invest the money, as you say, in guard play. So I think as he gets closer to that moment, I do think, but I think it, I don't think it'll be out of need so much as positional need as it will be. Okay. Are we going to pay coups? And you might have a team that very well, you know, might incentivize a deal where we'd love to have coups under control for the next, uh, in which case it happened, but it's going to be a very difficult trade just again, because he makes so little money and they're obviously capped out. So it's just, I, I, Kuz becomes difficult to move for value. Um, you know, I, and, and I don't know enough about the cap to know if it's like the extend and trade or if, if they could come to terms at another, I mean, I, I don't know how that works or if, okay, you want value for Kuz. Um, this other team wants to, you know, lock him up into, you know, sort of his first deal and, and whatever else. But, but I just think it's, it, that's the consideration for me is right now he's a player giving you production at a very reasonable price. Yeah, and, and I still think he he's, he's, has the room to grow a little bit. And, and to me, you know, he was one of the guys where last year they, they had all the trade rumors going on during the season, especially leading up to the deadline with Anthony Davis. And are they going to give up Kuz, B.I., and um, and Lonzo. And, and I look at those three. I think Lonzo has the most potential out of those three long term 
in terms of developing into into a perennial all-star. But at the same time, to me, Kuzma has shown like this killer instinct and this willingness to grow and willingness to want to improve. So I, I think he's going to be a big player for this Lakers team, especially if they have championships. Because when you go after LeBron, which obviously is a hell of a you know one-two punch you can have, probably the best you can have in the, in the NBA right now, who's going to be that third guy to roster being constructed as it is, I, I think Kuzma is going to be a huge player for these guys. So I'm hoping he can take that step in, in order to you know, put himself into the upper echelon of, of NBA players. Now, I wanted to get you out of here on this. I'm, I'm sure you heard the news. Uh, Andrew Luck, one of the best in the business for, for in the NFL in terms of quarterbacks, uh, top five, definitely top, top 10, arguably top five, uh, depending on the season and how well he was going to bounce back health-wise. Some of the fans in Indiana were booing him as he was walking off uh, during the preseason game yesterday. Also, on top of that, some of the reaction on Twitter, which probably not the best place to look at since it's just full of <laughs> venom and, and crazy people. But, uh, you know, questioning why he, he's quitting and, 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 you know, the team had championship aspirations. Why is he doing this, you know, a couple of weeks before the season starts? When you look at, at this and, and see this kind of reaction to somebody like Andrew Luck, who's given up his body, given up his health and, and choosing to say, hey, you know what? I want to be able to live a normal life. I'm mentally burnt out. I, I just I need to walk away at this point. When are fans and, and, and how did you how did you feel about the reaction that people were giving towards him and, and looking at with his announcement? Um, you know, I, 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 I just I, I don't quite understand it. And, and, and this is why I, I, I first of all, we never know what's going on in a person's life. Um, I don't follow football. This is what I this is everything I know about Andrew Luck. Right. He just had his first child. Um, I think a couple months ago. Okay. Um, this is a man who's basically, he's a Stanford graduate, um, who is a voracious reader, a guy who by every account and profile I've ever read could probably have gone and done anything with his life in terms of could have been an academic, could have been, I don't know, a broker, could have been whatever he wanted, pursued an intellectual, uh, field or, or, or any sort of profession. He's one of life's winners. Andrew Luck is a dynamic, intelligent, curious person. And yet he is spending the prime physical years of his life with one job, which is managing pain. As anybody who's ever managed pain, and I'm somebody who's had to manage pain, and I'm not an athlete, okay, it takes over every aspect of your life. Conversations with people you love become irritable simply because Oh my God, my, the nerves in my femoral area right now are on fire and I am so irritated and now I'm taking pills and I'm not even myself. Like uh, given everything we know about what the quarterback position demands in football, given everything we know about this man and I, he might be a good person. He might not be. I have no idea. This is only, I only know what I know, which is, and what's what I'm hearing from this guy is that he decided that I am no longer going to spend the prime years of my life, the prime years of my new child's life, with as a professional pain manager, not even a quarterback, a professional pain manager, to say nothing of what we now know of what happens to these quarterbacks' brains after they get sacked X number of times. So he's also probably very well educated on, on, the, on the forces of CTE and, 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 and every, every, everything else that, we know about the risks of playing um, at this level. And he decided, screw it. I've had a wonderful 
you know, I've had I, this is my, my you know, a lot of one of the great things about kind of contemporary life and, and the world getting smaller and is that a lot of us have multiple careers. Like I had a career before I got into sports writing, right? Like an entirely different field, you know, and I hope to have another one. Um, I, and, I, and I just think that, like, this is a guy who's decided, hey, the first chapter of my professional life is over. I had a glorious career as, as, a, as a quarterback at a Pac-10 school. Uh, you know, I went to the ac academy of my choice and, and my dreams. You know, I got to play in some meaningful games. But you know what? This is no longer. I wake up every day miserable. And I, frankly, have. I'm endowed with enough intelligence and love in my life and, and opportunity and certainly financial resources. Why am I going to a job <laughs> where I am guaranteed misery? And, like, the fact I understand to the average fan who would dream of playing sports for a living that it seems absolutely the, the idea that anybody would quit or walk away or forego that opportunity for any reason other than I can literally no longer do it anymore or nobody will have me do it is unthinkable. But when I, I mean, I, I think if you look at it from that perspective, right, like this guy doesn't want to be a professional pain manager anymore. And, and, and who would begrudge another human being? What if that were your brother-in-law? What if that were your brother? Like, would you tell him, oh, you, like, I, I, the, I, again, I don't want to, it's very easy to have sometimes a low opinion of the worst element of sports fans, and I try to avoid that, because in our business, I think you know if you read your comments, I read my comments, or mentions, or whatever the hell, and I don't do that much anymore. Like, it can be really dispiriting, but I mean, mm -hmm. I, I would just, I would caution anybody who would approach it that way to look at it from that perspective, Right. Um, and by the way, I, I don't think you have to be a talented Stanford humanities guy to, or genius to believe that. Like, who? Some people just. Derek Rose spoke in these terms. Like, I mean, I think we should also be mindful. Every year we have another conversation like this. Maybe these guys are onto something. Maybe there is a cohort of athletes who don't want to be professional pain managers, and I think that's worth exploring. Oh, I think so. I think so too. And then, and that's where you hit the nail on the, on the head there. It's the worst part of sports fans. Like I saw somebody on, on uh, Twitter yesterday responding to Richard Sherman, put out a tweet just saying, Hey, um, you know, how, how dare people boo him? And, and he's a football player and he understands how rough the game actually is. And, and it's, it's their body. And like you said, it's their quality of life. And I saw someone on there say, Hey, you know, I have to get up and go to work every day. I'm sore. I'm tired, but I get up and do it. It's like, Dude, you're replaceable. He's one of the 10 best in the world at, at his job. And, and I think people forget to, A, look at human beings as, as or pardon me, athletes as human beings, right? We have this thing of, oh, they're just robots and, and they should come out and, and, and perform and do the best they can, regardless of how much pain they're in physically or if they're emotionally or mentally going through something. They had a death in their family. They're having a tough time in their personal relationship. And, and people forget to do that. And I was reading some of these people's reactions to this and I'm like, you all really need to get a reality check and, and, and start having a better understanding of, of the world. And, and to me, and as you mentioned, I'm glad that we've seen the, the boom of, of the internet and the, and the tech and, and, as you mentioned, making the world smaller because you're starting to learn and starting to understand about things that you probably never would have before and, and maybe taking an interest in, in subjects that you never even knew were, were something that you would be interested in. And, and I think that People really need to start giving themselves a look in the mirror if they're booing a man like Andrew Luck, who who's really has worked his, his tail off to, for, for that city and, and, you know, and, and for that organization. Uh, did a hell of a job in terms of just his performance, but by all means is, is also a great guy too. spent a lot of time with kids and charities and, and, and done a lot of good things. And instead of looking at that to boo a man for making the decision that's best for him, I, I just will never be able to understand that stuff. But that's the ugly side of sports, I guess. Yeah.
All right, Kevin, we'll wrap up there. One, actually, I'll get you out of here on this because we might not talk again for, for a while. But when you look at the Lakers and, and you look at coming into this season, the way things are constructed as is, let's say they stay healthy because that, that was a huge, huge uh, factor in their, in their lack of success last season. When you look at the Lakers, is this a championship team as constructed right now? Um, I, I think it's in the conversation. I, the interesting thing I think to watch is going to be the defense. Because typically a championship team, and it, 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 I know it's, it seems really reductive, but, you know, got to be top, you know, I would say top five in one category, top 10 in the other. Or, or if they're so elite offensively, maybe 12 in defense or something, right, or, or vice versa. But, you know, and I, I think it's fair to say there's, there's going to be a pretty interesting offensive team. And I, I just, you know, the defensive piece, given what we know about, you know, LeBron's age. I mean, I think LeBron, if he, five minutes in a game and said, look, this is now a defensive struggle is as good as anybody. I mean, over an 82-game season, that's going to be interesting. Um, AD is an elite defender. Uh, Danny Green's the best transition defender at the guard position in the league and, and still a really good defender. Uh, I, I mean, that's actually the thing that gives me a little more hope. Like, I think the idea that this could be a, you know, in the 8, 9, 10, 11 range defensively, and then if they can just, you know, if offensively AD stays healthy, if, if LeBron's playing 68 to 75 games, um, you know, on 32 minutes, that all of a sudden, and they're actually much deeper than I thought they would be given they held out for Kawhi. I mean, that was sort of, to me, one of the, the nice consolations of missing out on Kawhi was, you you know, I think initially it was like, well, if they whiff on Kawhi, everybody's off the board. Well, Danny Green hung around. Um, you know, Avery Bradley hasn't been great the last couple of seasons. I still think he's a productive combo guard and a good guy to have on your team. Uh, you know, they, I need, they need a little more shooting and that's, but you know, again, green was 45% last year. You know, KCP has some virtues, I guess. Um, he's a league average guard, but, but that's going to be the sort of the interesting thing is, is just health night in, night out. Can they be either elite offensively or elite defensively? But I think they're in the conversation. Yeah, this this NBA season uh, for the first time really since 2014, 2015, uh, you know, nobody knows who's going to win the championship. Although the Raptors, obviously, I don't think were uh, a heavy favorite, obviously, going into this past season, but they were in the conversation, especially with Kawhi. That, that yeah, they could do it. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing how this whole thing shakes out come come October. There's five, six, seven teams out there, maybe eight who could who could win the championship. So it's going to be interesting to see. Kevin, uh, one of the best in the business. Thanks for taking the time out to do this, man. Thanks for having me. All right, that's Kevin Arnovitz of ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter at Kevin Arnovitz. And don't forget to follow us as well at Lakers SBN and subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can catch us on iTunes, Google, uh, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And don't forget as well, check out silverscreenandroll.com, your go-to source for Lakers stats, opinions, analysis, you name it, we got it. That does it for this episode. I'll catch you all next time.